Hello, I'm Johnny. And I'm Victoria. Tasty Pages is the companion podcast to our Cooking the Books Instagram page. Each episode, we discuss a featured cookbook and rank it in a variety of categories, including food photography, design, degree of difficulty, and of course, taste. But we also chat about any other random nonsense that might be going on in our minds. Funny encounters, movie recommendations, grievances, what we're having for dinner. In other words, typical married couple stuff. Whatever the topic, the conversation is always casual and unscripted and unedited. Spoiler alert, Victoria likes to swear. (laughs) There may also be a cocktail or two consumed. We also share listener answers to a food-related question, and Victoria takes us to a different culinary destination as part of our Gastro Obscura segment. Lastly, Johnny shares a lame food-themed dad joke at the conclusion of each episode. Join us in our living room in the heart of Minneapolis for the podcast equivalent of that junk drawer in your kitchen. Tasty pages. You're not quite sure what you'll find, but it's probably going to be awesome. Probably. Minneapolis and St. Paul friends, join us on April 20th at Cooks of Crocus Hill for our next cooking class, Middle Eastern Delights. This is a hands-on class where we'll walk you through preparing a delicious three-course meal. On the menu will be an orange vegetable soup with roasted spice seeds and harissa, and also a lemony salmon and an orange and fennel salad. The soup features vegetables that are orange in color, while the salad features oranges, the citrus. Thanks for clarifying. Mm -hmm. You're the zest. (laughs) Our classes have been selling out quickly. No doubt a result of Victoria's expert teaching skills and my hilarious jokes. Mm. The class takes place on Thursday, April 20th at Cooks of Crocus Hill's St. Paul location. To register, visit cooksofcrocushill.com. This week's featured cookbook is... (laughs) Okay there? (laughs) I kept waiting for you to tell me to start. I'm like, what are we doing? Okay. (laughs) No Gluten, No Problem Pizza by Kelly and Peter Bronski. Hi, Johnny. (laughs) You okay over there? I love that you're in excruciating back pain and you've got the giggles. It's it's driven me to delirium. (laughs) I'll I'll pick up the slack here. And for those of you... Who can't see me, which is everyone since we're a podcast. Um, I'm sitting here with a heating pad shoved down the back of my pants because I'm having horrible muscle spasms. Are you trying to make me horny? (laughs) I mean, if that's what makes you horny, I think you got some problems, sir. Um, But anyway, yeah, I'm having really bad muscle spasms and my back hasn't hurt this this much in a really, really long time. I was going to ask how you were doing, but that kind of sums it up mm-hmm. yeah. how are you i i never saw such a beautiful face i tried to i tried to make a bunch of pizza puns for this episode because it's all about pizza so you said sausage i know i never saw such a beautiful face okay well right? thank you i guess it's are the you yeast gonna... i can do <laughs> Stop with the puns. Stop it. Stop. (laughs) Oh, there'll there'll be more. Oh, great. Well, first, let me take care of some housekeeping. Welcome to episode 92 of Tasty Pages, a podcast from Cooking the Books. If you go to our domain, which is (laughs) WeCookBooks.com. I'm going to lose my damn mind here. Somebody send help, please. You go to WeCook. If you need help, blink twice. Um, 
No one will, no one will be able to see you, though. <laughs> so That won't work. If you go to the website, wecookbooks.com, click on the store tab. Direct that will. Oh, man. We're both really punchy and stone cold sober, too. <laughs> That's what happens when your dog gets you up at four in the morning with explosive diarrhea. <laughs> Fun times. <Yep>. Woo. All right. <laughs> If you go to our domain, wecookbooks.com, you click on that store tab, that will direct you to our Amazon.com affiliate page. We've got a few things there, kitchen essentials for home cooks, our list of favorite cookbooks, a few other things. You make a purchase from any of those lists, we'll get a little something in return. It's probably the best way that you can support the fine work that we're doing here at Tasty Pages Central. We will also accept support in the form of a driver's side door, in Arctic White for our 2010 Toyota Prius because we need a new one. Someone smacked into our car. Yeah. Well, it'll get worked out. But yeah. And it was totally all their fault. Totally they, their fault. They pulled out weren't paying what, into our lane. Weren't paying attention to what they were doing. Nope. Crunched us. Yeah. Ah. Uh, so, you know, car accidents and back pains aside, what else have we been up to? <laughs> See, we just had a cooking class the other night. Yeah, success. It went very well, I thought. Sold out. Mm-hmm. It was great. Yeah, I don't what know. What was on the menu? It was Indian. It was. We did a masala shrimp. A, a uh, favorite. Mm-hmm. I believe all these recipes were variations on stuff from the Nick Sharma mm-hmm. cookbooks. Yeah, and then we did a paneer palau. And then we also did a toasted cumin lime cucumber salad these classes are fun and i feel like we've done enough of them now where we're kind of hitting a stride and mm-hmm. um we're really leaning into having them be gluten-free mm-hmm. because that's a you know that's a popular topic for people when considering classes and it's something that obviously we have a lot of experience with and we try and create menus that just kind of happen to be gluten-free rather than like having to alter anything well, for them to be so. And also, I'd you know, I'd rather have them cooking things that I could actually eat, right. you know, like shrimp so, aside, shrimp <laughs> aside. But I mean, I trust, I trust that My you think recipe. it's good. So, yep. you know, I'm, we're not going to make something that we haven't really made before. But the last few classes that we've had have been sold out. There's mm-hmm. been a wait list for them. So we've got a couple more coming up in April. Looking forward to them. But oh, my point was we also try and incorporate maybe some techniques or ingredients into the classes that people might not be familiar with. So in this case, you know, I don't think a lot of people were familiar with paneer, maybe not even have ever had it, right. much less like work with it. Right. So I think people appreciated that. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, we'll do something like grind the spices up using a mortar and pestle and talk about that a little bit. And toasting and, spices, because yeah. I think like someone who is not like really into cooking it wouldn't occur to them to do that yeah. unless they're reading it like from a re- from a recipe or something. It's a challenge enough to get them to properly season their food with salt and pepper. <laughs> <laughs> Got to constantly remind them. Like, <laughs> season and taste your food, and everybody. Don't bland ass food. <laughs> um, otherwise, we we did a little day date the other day and mm-hmm. went to a new uh, new food hall that opened up in the Twin Cities called Eat Street Crossing. It's been open for maybe a little over a month. Uh, wildly successful so far. Yep, wasn't too bad when we went because we went a little later in the afternoon. It was kind the of the lull. Lo- yeah, it was a lull in between lunch and dinner, and, and we sat at the bar. Yeah, had a cocktail. 
Well, I, you had a cocktail. No, I had a sake. Oh, that's right. Yes. Okay, they no ha- cocktails. They have I a, had a seltzer. Yeah, so. they have a sake on top uh, or on tap. Um, and you can also... Sake on top is a totally different thing. <laughs> <laughs> that's a whole nother show. Yep. They have this wall of wines that you can buy. You can buy a bottle for 25 bucks and... Drink for, it there. for an additional twenty five, you can actually put a harness on and like climb up the wall of oh, wine yes. to retrieve your <laughs> bottle and come down. Yeah, so we we did lunch at uh, Bibizito, mm-hmm. I believe, and we uh, you had a gluten free burger. I had a like a spicy fried chicken sandwich. Oh, and I wanted to eat it so bad. I'd be lying if I said it wasn't awesome. Oh, it was pretty good. And then they also had a ramen place there that I just. You might as well just walk right past. I know. There was nothing in there you could eat. No. But yeah, great, great space. Nice, open, airy. They've got a great outdoor area for when the weather gets a little warmer and they've got like some fire pits out there and stuff. So I felt kind of close to our house, too. Yeah. I felt kind of bad because the woman sitting next to me at the bar got ghosted by her friend. She was sitting there with her friend and then her friend spotted someone else across the bar said friend came and joined them uh-huh. and then those two took off and just left her Whoa. and she was like what the fuck so they were together like you know on a little like friend date mm-hmm. having drinks or whatever and then she saw someone better mm-hmm. that she traded up for and then just completely abandoned her mm-hmm. her original oh wow yeah i was like rude. man it was super rude <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> With friends like those, man. Yeah. Jeez. So we just finished up uh, a book by Nigel Slater that I believe it's coming out mm-hmm. um, called A Cook's Book. It's the newest book from from Nigel, um, which we really enjoyed. We're still trying to decide what we want to do next. We've got it narrowed down to a few choices, mm-hmm. but no, no, no uh, definitive choice made yet. Before we dive into our show topic, I, I, I was trying to do this whole pizza theme throughout this episode, since that's what we're going to be discussing. And then uh, I, I jumped on my little, uh, my handheld device here, uh-huh. otherwise known as a phone. I came up with some, some, some pizza news that I thought I'd share with you. The first one being uh, the headline is uh, Pizza Hut Japan introduces cilantro packed too much coriander pie. And what this is, is uh, pizza that they launched in, in Japan. The restaurant posted this on Twitter about a week ago. The brand uh, claims that pizza contains three stalks of coriander, also known as cilantro, so much that it will shock even Gen Zers. The peculiar <laughs> selection. <laughs> That's which, random. I know. Which sells for just over $19 is also topped with shrimp and tomato sauce and a sweet, spicy Korean sauce. Uh, the company posted a video advertising the unusual item on TikTok featuring Pizza Hut Japan's president, uh, Shoichi Nakamura. Nakamura. Uh, I'm sure I definitely pronounced that correctly. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's just like a pizza with a big pile of uh, cilantro on it, stems and all. Hmm. So there you go. Did I don't you know how. That? I mean, you well, can't I eat can't. The shrimp. <laughs> It just, it seems odd to me to just pile up a bunch of cilantro on a pizza. Chances it's are it's random. not gluten-free either. Yeah. So, no, I'm just going to give it a big fat no. It, it's kind of like just piling up parsley on a pizza or something. Yeah. Weird. In other news, 
Do I even need to preface this by saying Florida man? (laughs) (laughs) All right, here we go. In Florida man news, Florida man charged after allegedly slapping woman's face with a pizza slice. (laughs) I think that happened a long time ago. Uh, This is from March 21st, 2023. Shut up. How many people are out there getting slapped with slices of pizza? Because I know I've read that before. Florida. That's all I got to (laughs) say. Ortelio Lazaro Alfonso, 39, is charged with battery in Marion County, Florida, after allegedly slapping a woman in the face with a slice of pizza during an argument. Deputies responded to a residence after receiving a 911 call for possible domestic disturbance. Deputies spoke to the suspect, who told them that they had an argument. The victim told deputies that she had been slapped on the left side of her face with a slice of pizza during an argument after Alfonso became upset when she physically disciplined another individual in the home on his bottom area. So basically she spanked someone. Okay. And he was like, don't spank that person. And he slapped her in the face with a pizza. And pizza sauce was found on the front of the victim's shirt, her shirt collar, and the back of her shirt. That's a saucy pizza. Uh <laughs> She also had remnants of pizza in her hair and around her ear. And that was before she got slapped. <laughs> I'm sorry. I feel like a total dick making fun of like a domestic assault. That's not that's not cool. Well, and I was um, going to say, uh, you know, if the pizza wasn't piping hot, I might actually enjoy that. <laughs> the victim uh, let deputies look inside the home where they also found pizza sauce on the walls and ceiling of the kitchen area. So, man. Ooh, they did some detective work. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Strangely, the leftover pizza that was there before they arrived somehow disappeared once they left the scene. I, th- I think the, the police officers took the pizza with them. Are you lying? No. <laughs> Did the article say that? I'm, I'm, I'm riffing on this story. Oh, God, stop I'm, I'm it. Living. I, th- I think that's enough about Florida man and pizza slapping. And then lastly... Oh, Jesus. Hum- no, we're not going to have anyone listening. This is the last one. And this is one that you had mentioned to me, too. One of the last remaining $1 pizza spots in New York City was forced to finally raise their prices. New York City's Two Brothers Pizza has long lived under the slogan, Always fresh, always a dollar. Though the fresh half is still true, it's sadly been forced to raise the price of its uh, last remaining $1 location. So it sounds like they have a few locations throughout the city. The increasing cost of cheese contributed to the price change as the crucial topping accounts for about 40% of what the chain spends on ingredients. Uh, He said over the past few years, we've had to do everything that we could in our power to keep the cheese slices at a dollar. While refusing to compromise quality, we're no longer able to break even. So mm. there you go. They had to uh, raise it to a dollar fifty. Tough times. Uh, change the signs. <laughs> that's that's all I got for pizza news. Okay, I think that's more than enough pizza news. <laughs> Thoroughly. Show topic kind of ties in with our what we're having for dinner because it's uh, what would your pantry meal be. If you made it right now. Also, I have an entirely different answer based on stuff that we have here. Oh, good. Yeah. Good. Because I was just going to be lazy and go with what we're actually making for dinner mm-hmm. tonight, which mm-hmm. is a which is a pantry meal. So I'm excited to hear what you came up with. Okay. I guess we'll just start with our with our listener answers. We don't have a lot of listener answers. No, there was a few. Um, 
You want to start with the first one? Yes. Okay. Uh, Joseph P. said Bucatini with red sauce and a green salad. I'll be right over. Oh, I miss, I miss Bucatini. I know. Our friend Dan O. said egg fried rice every time. That sounds like my lunches. Mm-hmm. Usually my lunch consists of some leftovers with a fried egg on top. Mm-hmm. My fried egg game is uh, getting perfected, though. Yes, it is. And so I, I dump that on noodles Let's see, what was today? Today was some leftover roasted cauliflower that we that we had. You okay over there? Oh, my back is so sweaty. I just put my <laughs> hand on my back and That's it's what like, happens when you put a heating pad on it. It's like wet, gross. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, one more submission. At Viravos 1983 said brothy beans with gochujang. Oh, yes. So brothy beans, are the, is that like baked beans? Is that another name for baked beans? You know? No, not necessarily. Oh, no. I mean, okay. it can be any kind of bean. Oh, okay. I just figured they're just brothy, brothy beans was like, uh, you know, some kind of like slang in another country for hmm. baked beans. But that's what they're having with gochujang. Okay. Yeah. I'd be down for it. Okay. So I want to hear what you came up with after perusing our pantry and fridge. Okay. Well, yesterday, our neighbor who is going out of town brought some stuff over she brought um a whole bunch of eggs which she might as well just have given us a hundred dollars since eggs are so expensive yep along with some other things so what i would make is a dutch baby with bacon and cheese and maybe some kimchi Ooh, uh-huh. i like uh-huh i mean i can i can, can actually i can actually make it if you want can you do dutch babies with gluten-free flour with the measure to measure yeah huh, okay well, and that brings us to what is for dinner tonight. And this is what we're actually going to have utilizing pantry ingredients. So the previously mentioned generous neighbor also gave us like this big bag of broccoli florets and then um, some slaw, which we'll do something else with later. That's pretty hearty. That'll last for a while. But we're going to roast up that broccoli, maybe toss it in a little bit of like olive oil Garlic and salt and pepper. Keep it simple. And then we're going to top it with some uh, shredded cheddar cheese that we have on top. So we're going to have like a toddler's meal to try and get them to eat broccoli. Yeah. It's going to be delicious. But we're not actually going to go all in and make a cheese sauce. We're just going to. No. (laughs) Not that fancy. (laughs) We're just going to throw some cheese on top there. All right. Uh, Should we talk about this book? Sure. Okay. So this was released in 2019. Uh, but we just recently became aware of it. We originally checked it out from the library and liked it so much that we ended up getting a copy from the publisher. But it features over 15 kinds of dough covering all of the popular pizza styles, including Chicago-style deep dish. And it also has a chapter with like some stuffed options like calzones and, mm-hmm. and whatnot. And also like some breads, like some focaccias and stuff. So it uses a pretty broad definition of, of what would be considered pizza, which I ain't mad at. Um, there's a total of 75 recipes. Obviously, we spread this out over a few weeks because mm-hmm. we weren't going to eat pizza every night. Not that I'd mind, but. That's a lot of pizza. It'd be a bit much. Yeah. Do you want to talk about the pizzas that we made? Yeah, but I want to say something about this first. Sure. So I didn't, I didn't actually make any of the doughs. Johnny did all of that. I sh- helped shape a couple of them. I think I shaped the deep dish, and then I rolled out one of the tavern-style pizzas. 
but Johnny was on doe duty. I'm on doe duty. <laughs> and he actually did a really great job. Thanks, son. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the first one we did was a tavern-style pizza with Italian sausage, mushroom, and basil. And also, for the actual pizza toppings, we didn't stay, like, strictly on recipe. Yeah. Because we I were more interested in trying and just, like, doing the dough. Absolutely. And that's something that when we get to the rankings I had kind of mentioned, mm-hmm. too, is, like, you know, you definitely have to stick pretty strictly to the dough recipes. Mm-hmm. Beyond that, like, once you've mastered that... You can top them with whatever you want. Yeah. And it's not really going to affect the, you know, the final result. So you want to throw a big heaping pile of cilantro on your uh, (laughs) gluten-free pizza dough. Go nuts. Right. Okay. So we did a tavern style pizza with Italian sausage, mushroom, and basil. Then we did a Tex-Mex taco pizza with a New York style dough. The quick version. There was a Chicago deep dish pizza with sausage, mushroom, and artichoke. Then we did a cauliflower crust with Brussels sprouts and bacon. And then to finish off, we did a chocolate hazelnut dessert pizza on the New York style dough that was fermented. Correct. All right. Well, let's start with the tavern style pizza with Italian sausage, mushroom, and basil. So this is a like a Roman-style thin crust version that's become popular throughout certain regions in the U.S. Like a cracker crust. Yes. And it probably has like maybe different names depending on where mm-hmm. it is, but it's very it's quite popular in like New Jersey, Chicago, and St. Louis. Uh, ultra thin. Um, this one you had to roll out with like a rolling pin that's got uh, that's been rubbed with olive oil, mm-hmm. and it gets rub- rolled out really thin. The thing to keep in mind with all of these gluten free dough recipes is they are generally. The hydration percentage is a lot greater, meaning that they're like a more wet dough mm-hmm. than their non-gluten-free counterpart. And, so, and also different different style doughs have different shaping methods. Yes. And so that's going to be the hardest adjustment for people working from this book to make is you can't treat it like your traditional pizza doughs that you might be used to working with and it can be a little bit intimidating like because you don't know the first time you make a dough you don't really know like how it's supposed to be and so you really have to trust the recipe we we did a variety of the of the doughs they all worked out you just have to be patient you just have to trust that they're gonna work there was one that we'll talk about where i think we just like let it rest and relax for a bit and then kind of finished working it and shaping it and it worked out fine Mm -hmm. and that was maybe something that was not in the initial recipe but we made it work you know all these doughs were successful and we've since made a few of them more than once Hello, and deep dish. We've actually, yeah, we've actually got a gluten-free pizza class coming up in May that we're going to teach. So we'll continue to uh, eat pizza <laughs> between now and then. Back to this tavern style, though. Once you've shaped this out, it's basically like a big rectangle that I think I I took a sheet tray and flipped it over, put a piece of parchment down, and shaped it out so it was about the size of like a of like a half sheet tray Mm -hmm. then that goes in the oven and you you put it in there like parchment paper and all we have a pizza stone that we preheated in our oven Um, most of these recipes 
call for a really hot oven of like 550 degrees. Unfortunately, ours only goes up to about 500, but Mm -hmm. these recipes were still successful. Plan accordingly. If you have an oven that doesn't get that hot, you might be dealing with a little bit longer cooking times. This one did have a 48-hour fermentation time. So we made this, you know, a few days prior, let it hang out in the refrigerator, and then you take it out, obviously, like a few hours before you plan to work with it. The main ingredients are brown rice flour, cornstarch, and potato starch. So that's another thing to keep in mind is you probably will be working with some specialty flours and ingredients that you may or may not have on hand. But the good thing is that most of these dough recipes share those ingredients. Mm -hmm. So if you're really into making gluten-free pizza and you know that you'll be making it on a regular basis, you can invest in these ingredients uh, for your pantry and you'll have them on hand when you need them. Anything else to say about this? No. Yeah. I I quite like the tavern style yeah. pizza. It's not very filling. Like yeah. I could house a whole entire pizza by myself. <laughs> and most of these recipes, I believe, make one pizza. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's easy enough to scale if you want to make more than one. But uh, just keep in mind that, you know, with this, it made one tavern style pizza that was about the size right. of a sheet tray. And you do have to par bake the crust before topping it with any ingredients. And that's kind of goes for most of these pizzas Mm -hmm. they benefit from being baked a bit Um, because they are so full of liquid you you really have to just slide them into the oven on that parchment paper before you make any attempt to put them directly on the pizza zone and i think with some of these we just left them on the parchment paper yeah we didn't even want to attempt you know especially when you're dealing with uh like a wafer thin cracker crust like this my concern was like if you did try and remove it from the parchment that you might crack or break in half. And who wants to deal with that? Mm-hmm. So we kept our pizza intact. Sure. And then uh, the next one that we made was this Tex-Mex taco pizza. I think we might have added a few ingredients, if I recall, because ours was kind of more like a like a cheeseburger type of thing, because I think we threw some pickles on. Yeah. Reminiscent of our the Godfather's, Godfather's cheeseburger pizza. Oh, back in the man, day. I miss Godfather's pizza. You and me both. Uh, But this was using the New York style dough and uh, the book offers both a quick version and then like a fermented version that would uh, require about 48 hours of time before you make the pizza. This is kind of like uh, just like what what the recipe says, like a New York style. It's like a soft, chewy dough. Yeah. You could fold it in half, I guess. I mean, if you're going to, if you cut the slices big enough. Yes. (laughs) I think this was the first one we tried. We figured it we'd was. start easy. We'd do something that didn't require any like rising time. And or... this one just got shaped out by hand. Like you, yes. you just, uh, I believe you oil up your hands and yeah. And there's shape it up. and there's some um, guidance offered within the pages of the book for for shaping these doughs. What I found worked well because we made this a second time, and I used a spatula that I put a little bit of oil on and just used that to gently kind of push and shape and smooth the dough into a circle and then you could kind of leave the edges that you've formed a little higher so it gets that nice crust and see i I feel like using your fingers is better because you can actually feel the dough and you can feel how thick it is yeah I, 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 I had good success with the spatula. So I think that's something that whatever you find works for you. I know in the book it instructs you to use your hands. So 
And then uh, this gets topped with all kinds of uh, Tex-Mex taco ingredients. Ground so, beef, tomatoes, jalapeno, jalapenos. Lettuce. Cheese. Yeah. The lettuce and the cilantro go on at the end. Not not three bunches of cilantro no. like the <laughs> Japanese pizza. But uh, you want to talk Chicago deep dish? Uh, yes, I do. <laughs> We were very excited when we paged through the book and saw that there was actually a gluten-free deep dish recipe because we figured once you went gluten-free that the days of eating deep dish pizza were long gone. I was mourning not being able to have deep dish pizza, specifically Giordano's. There is a Giordano's in one of the... Surrounding suburbs. Right, but they only just do like a thin uh, gluten-free. I can't say how happy I am about this one. So please allow plenty of time for baking this this uh, behemoth because the first time we made this, I had to work. I had to run sound at the club. And we were like impatiently trying to, you know, wait for this to finish. And it just was not getting done. You know, I think the, re- the recipe instructs you to bake for 50 minutes, if I remember correctly. 50 minutes. And then... It took longer. We pulled it out for 10. Yep. Or we put it in for another 10. And then you had to go. Yeah. It wasn't done yet. So the entire time I'm sitting here smelling this and seeing it, you know, being close to being finished. And then I had to like dash out the door. I think this one took like an additional 30 minutes. Yes. Well, and you do have to let it rest before you attempt to cut into it because you got to let those ingredients kind of set after Uh it comes out of the oven. Otherwise it's just going to be a lot of liquid and like melted cheese and sauce just spilling out. Um, And it's going to be a mess to try and serve up, but you basically make this dough and then you form it in, I believe it's a nine inch cake pan. Uh And this is the one that you use your hands to form it. You got to make sure your hands are, are well oiled and then, um, we let it rest for a bit and then came back to it and kind of pushed the dough up the sides of the pan to form that nice crust on the outside. Yeah. And I believe the second time we did this, we actually made sure that the the cheese got up on the on the side of the crust so you get that nice burnt cheese on, yeah, on it's, the crust. Yeah, it, it's kind of in the style of this pizza place that we used to go to in Chicago called Pequod's. So good. It's got tons of, it, like, they put the the cheese going past the crust so that it goes up the side of the pan. Mm-hmm. And then you get all this, like, charred cheese. And it's so delicious. Yes. Uh, I mean, this, to me, was worth the cost of the book alone. Absolutely. Because uh, this was successful. We've made it a few times now. The fact that you could uh, eat this pizza casserole <laughs> gluten-free as a lot of purists like to call it yes uh, and so this one gets the cheese on the on the bottom mm-hmm. and i think that kind of insulates the crust from the sauce Keeps it getting from soggy yeah and so obviously with with a thicker crust like this in a pan and all these ingredients piled on top of it it's going to take a lot longer to bake and so that's why you know it's got a like a long 50 minute baking time and then uh, probably just due to the fact that our oven doesn't get hot enough and is a little temperamental and yeah. just took longer. Probably my favorite recipe from the book. And I so, agree. Hard did, agree. And we did sausage, mushroom, and artichoke. I believe that was just our own creation. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but there are several, you know, suggestions offered within the book, whether it's pepperoni or I think they did have like a sausage and mushroom. So you do you. Right. Should we move on to cauliflower crust? Yes. This one, Johnny did totally. I had no hand in making this crust whatsoever. So, but it, it was delicious. I will it say was, that. It was. And we've all probably possibly experienced like a cauliflower crust pizza, whether you bought like a plain cauliflower crust frozen in the grocery store or bought one of the various pizzas that are offered on a cauliflower crust. And I will say definitively miles better. Yes, This is like exponentially better than anything you could buy in a store. It does require a little bit of work. You need to boil the cauliflower florets and then you drain them and you pulse them in a food processor. And then you have to really, really squeeze the excess water out of them. And I think that was the most time consuming part. <laughs> and I was like really bring it, working. Like, bringing that tea the, towel. Yeah. The easiest way to do it is to pile it in a tea towel and then just ring it and ring it and ring it. But you're going to be, you're going to be amazed at how much liquid comes out of this cauliflower when you, when you're ringing it out like that. No need for arm day at the gym that day, Victoria. No. But the resulting dough gets mixed with a little bit of mozzarella, some dried basil, some oregano, some garlic powder, and an egg, which I'm assuming kind of acts as like a binder. Yeah, and I have to say this, um, the crusts that were like uh, the cauliflower and the zucchini, the non-flour crusts, Mm -hmm. those are the only only crusts that contain dairy. And so same thing, we shaped this on a piece of parchment paper. I think the recipe calls for you to do it by hand. Again, I found it a lot easier just to, we've got a nice large kind of baking spatula, rubber spatula, and I just use that to kind of gently spread it into a circle. And then this goes in the oven and it does have to bake on its own for about 30 minutes. So this is something that, you know, to really get it to firm up and hold all your pizza toppings, it's going to require a pretty long bake time Mm -hmm. compared to some of the other options. The only change I would make to this is cutting the Brussels sprouts, maybe like shredding them or cutting them into strips or something. Because I found that the the quarters that it suggests in the recipe were like a little bit, and I I know it totally depends on your the size size of the Brussels sprouts, but at least the ones we were using, they were a little large Mm -hmm. to eat. So I would have preferred to just like maybe shred some Brussels sprouts and like sprinkle them on top. Brussels sprouts and bacon. Classic combo. Sure. That's one that I would definitely make again. And I think you could probably quite successfully freeze that. So if you wanted to make the cauliflower crust ahead of time, bake it, and then put it in a Ziploc bag and and, and freeze it, it would probably do really well to, to have later on. Oh, and speaking of which, this book also has a regular like make head freeze crust they do so that's a good thing yeah if your goal is to maybe do a little advanced prep there is a a recipe specific for freezing for like a frozen pizza dough recipe and i guarantee it'll be better than what you could buy in the store Mm -hmm. Um, and then lastly we did a dessert pizza uh, and this is a chocolate hazelnut and it's using that same new york style dough I think it calls for white rice flour, and I think I had to use brown rice because it was what we had on hand. So it had a little bit... Yeah, because we had just run out of the white rice. Yeah, so it had a little bit more of that kind of flavor going on. And and that is totally our bad because, you know, in the book they say... Don't substitute. Yeah. And we did. Yeah. 
It, it worked out. It was fine. It just had a little bit of an odd taste for a dessert pizza because right. of it was brown rice. And oh, and we topped that with, hey, uh, it gets like Nutella and then you drizzle some chocolate ganache on it and top it with hazelnuts. It was a bit sweet for me. Yeah. I, I think I had just a little bit of it. And then you ended up eating the rest of it over the course of a few <laughs> days. He's like, you want a piece? I'm like, no. I don't think I made it through all of it. No. I, I think it, it, we we I eventually got tired of it. Um, you couldn't make it a personal pizza. Yes. <laughs> you but didn't it, try hard enough. It was giving me these vibes of when I worked at Godfather's and they had the dessert pizzas that they were really, really pushing. They they did had like a cherry one and they oh, had like an apple pie one. The apple pie one. And I think, didn't they have like a cinnamon or wasn't there like a cinnamon streusel on the no, apple pie? Yes. Okay, yes, that's what it was. Absolutely. Oh, I love those. Because I remember that for a while they had a promotion where like you got one of those free if you ordered a pizza. Yes. And so like we were just cranking those out all the time. A 15 year old Johnny was not pleased. <laughs> well, of course you weren't because you had to do work. Yep. So I guess that that's it for what we did. Needless to say, we enjoyed it. Before we discuss our rankings, let's go to the most critical Amazon reviews. What do you got, Victoria? At uh, Scott Flower gave it one out of five stars. He said, not realistic for everyday gluten-free cooks. Uh, these recipes are not realistic for the everyday gluten-free cook. First of all, the recipes include grains like teff, quinoa, millet, uh, I have family members who cannot eat those grains, even if others can. Instead, we need recipes with rice, buckwheat, potato, almond, corn, tapioca mix. And this book does not have that. They they go on to say, psyllium husk is a common allergen. And that is uh, a common ingredient in all of these recipes because it's what gives the... Uh, dough it's kind of bready texture but it's a common allergen yeah and so it's 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 actually a weed all the recipes have it that's the that's the challenge with gluten-free cooking is sometimes you know if if you've got other food allergies some of these ingredients that you might be using are going to maybe potentially cause other issues yeah and they even said in the book like outside of like outside of the toppings they try as much as possible to avoid like the the top eight allergens yeah like i'm glad i don't have a weed allergy <sighs> i know right <laughs> <laughs> thirdly these recipes require heavy metal pans a heavy baking steel and a pizza peel i've got news for you we have a janky stained pizza stone that we've had forever and that's what we use to preheat in the oven and place all these pizzas on and we have an old like wooden pizza peel that we've had forever don't most ovens have the bottom drawer that always has the one broiler pan yeah, yeah. in I mean, that's a, that's where we keep our pizza stone. And little kitchen hack for you. We found that using an overturned sheet tray works just fine as a flat surface to not only shape the dough, but you could bake directly on that mm -hmm. too. I mean, you could even just place one of those in the oven and, and heat. So I think the equipment for these recipes is less critical than just following the recipes to the letter and making sure that you're you know, using the right ratios and stuff. Right. Uh, fourth, the recipes require a high cooking temperature for a long period of time. You need to warm the baking steel at 550 degrees for an hour to preheat it before baking your pizza. Uh, if you have an electric oven, that will cost quite a bit of money. Also, uh, our oven cannot handle that high of a temperature, and it smokes. You got a smoking oven. Yeah. 
And then lastly, the two recipes that we tried were total failures and tasted terrible. Overall, we make a lot of gluten-free items from scratch and have a number of gluten-free cookbooks. And this one has been one of the worst of the worst. Not at all practical. I think maybe they're coming a little hot with their review, but some of their critique is valid. Yeah. This is not, uh, you know, easy weeknight pizzas. Although the the New York style dough, the quick version, if you had a little bit of time, you could whip that together. Yeah, sure. Um, there's no resting time or fermentation time or anything, so it, it could be done. Mm-hmm. Just don't uh, make the deep dish when you gotta rush out the door. <laughs> right. I felt so bad for you about that because we oh, were so excited. I was so hungry. And then I sent you like the the photo that oh, I had taken oh. and. <laughs> That was torture. The whole time, like working up to it, you know, like I could smell it in the oven. I was so hungry. I thought like I'm going to really have to like gobble this down and head out the door. And then it just took so much longer than we were expecting to the point where I had waited like literally as long as I could. And I was like, I've got to get out of here. Otherwise, I'm going to be late. And so, yeah, I mean, I had it when I came home that night. It had like a, you know, late night pizza, which I wasn't mad about. But man... (laughs) Well, let's talk our reviews. Okay. Food photography and styling. What'd you have, Victoria? I'm kind of waffling between three and 3.5. Um, 3.25? <laughs> there we go. <laughs> it's like a gymnastic event. Um, I mean, this could have been really redundant because there's only so many ways. That, so many ways that you can style a pizza. But they found they found ways to keep it fresh, whether that be just doing photos of ingredients or doing photos of a raw crust. Uh, let's see, a lot of the photos were frequently styled on cutting boards and pans or on parchment. Usually there's a lot, there's some cheese or flour scattered about. It did feel a little bit sterile at times, but I appreciate that there was enough variety because looking looking through a book of pizzas is not super entertaining. It's easy to fall into like a a rut of doing the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. What'd you give it? So so are you you going 3.25? Yes. Okay. (laughs) I love it. Uh, I'm going three. Okay. Many of the pizza photography features a close-up section of the pizza rather than a wider frame shot of the full pie. So I don't know if you noticed that. Like yes. it would just have like, you know, it would kind of cut it off like two-thirds of the pizza or so. Oh, can I add one thing? Please. The photos were actually spanned both pages. Yes. Whether and that goes into more the design and yes. layout. But yes. I just wanted to make a note of that. Yes. Often the photo would feature whole recipe ingredients in the photo as well, or maybe like some utensils. Many of the surfaces, like uh, cutting boards, pizza peels, stone serving platters, similar to like maybe something you'd serve charcuterie on. Some of the photos would feature a cutting board or a knife or some of the featured ingredients like... Uh, Rather than like a ready to serve pizza. Mm -hmm. So especially when it was in the dough recipes, like it would mostly just be like the raw dough shaped out on a pan or or maybe just like a dough ball or something. Photos are mostly captured either overhead or at a 45 degree angle. And then most of the props, linens and utensils are what I would classify as kind of simple but their inclusion still added some visual interest of it. But there's not going to be any like heirloom yeah. pieces in the photos or anything. They're just kind of standard issue, you know, pizza cutters or 
pizza peel or something. I wouldn't say any of the photos are remarkable, but for a specialty book such as this, I think they do a fine job of making all the food look really appealing. Right. See, you put that so much nicer than I did. (laughs) I'm sitting over here like tripping over my words and stuff. Uh, Design and layout, what did you give it? I gave it a four. Okay. The front matter of the book... See that? You're it's, technical you, talking. Yeah, using the, the, the publishing lingo. Consists of uh, a little piece about the author's quest for making gluten-free pizza, their secrets to successful gluten-free pizza at home, an index of the required tools and ingredients, and then any special tips, tricks, and troubleshooting advice. Um, there's also a useful chart to easily identify what recipes may not be suitable for other common allergens or dietary preferences. You mentioned that mm-hmm. earlier. So like, for instance, if you have like a dairy intolerance or a nut allergy or a soy allergy, they have a little chart that will tell you which recipes to avoid or which ones you can you can eat. Design-wise, the recipes don't follow a uniform format. So instead, the accompanying photograph, as you mentioned earlier, is usually spread out over two pages. And then the text will either be like white text on dark or black text on a light Mm -hmm. surface. Which I appreciate because sometimes books will just stick to, if there's a different color, books will just stick to one color text on the page and it can get really hard to read and so i said i just mentioned that this might bother those who prefer a more consistent recipe format Mm. because it does vary depending on the recipe personally i found the layout to be pretty easy to read and follow you will need to flip back to the page with the dough recipe and possibly some other ingredients like there's sauce recipes in here and there's some other recipes for some of the ingredients, toppings that you would put on there. Um, so there might be a little bit of flipping back and forth, which I know you're not a fan of. Yeah, but... but has to be done. Mm-hmm. Um, the serving size is included in the recipes, but I, I think most of them will make like one pizza. Some of the recipes will include a text box with a tip, trick, or important note. Many of the recipes feature at least three different font styles with a variety of uh, variations like bold and italic. So... Just another thing to note, like if you find that kind of format to be a little cluttered, that might be something you would take issue with is like the the different font styles used within the recipe. The recipes also include both volume and weighted measurements and then also like Fahrenheit and uh, Celsius Mm -hmm. temperatures. What'd you have? I gave it a four and I'm going to say I don't want to be redundant because you said everything that I have in my notes. Get out of my head. So, I I mean, I don't want to go down this list and just repeat everything you said. Fair. So I gave it a four. Cool. Um, degree of difficulty. I think between a two and a three, and that will change once you get more comfortable with, more familiar with the doughs and how they're supposed to be. Mm-hmm. I think the first time going into, going into it, I would say a three just because there is that uncertainty. Sure. There are a lot of like specialty flours, but if you're gluten-free, you will most likely have a lot of these on hand. And like I said before, I didn't make any of the doughs, so maybe you can speak better to this, you, you know, like... To the degree of difficulty. With great authority. Yes. I mean, I shaped a couple of them, but I did not make you any. You brought it on home. Yeah. Uh, but I can tell you, I know that that uh, cauliflower crust was a handful. Lots of work. Lots of mess. Yeah. 
worthwhile. Yeah. I mean, if that's your jam, you can make a better cauliflower crust at home than uh, anything you can buy in a store. What'd you give it? I gave it a three as well. So by far the biggest learning curve is going to be with the dough recipes themselves. And as we mentioned earlier, gluten-free dough just behaves differently than its wheat counterpart. So you're going to really need to suspend any past experiences that you have and just trust the recipes. Because I think that was our apprehension with the first couple attempts is we were just like, oh, is this right? Is this going to work out? And thankfully it did. And we've done a few of them more than once and they've worked out. So I can confidently say like you just have to trust the recipes because they seem well-researched and uh, well-tested. They'll work. You just have to have faith. Additionally, you are going to need to purchase some specialty ingredients. The recommended techniques for shaping the dough were sometimes not the method that I personally ended up using. Thus, we needed to rely a little bit on our intuition to adopt. Adopt? Adapt. (laughs) We're not talking about babies or puppies here. We are not. However, that's not to say that you can play fast and loose with the recipe equations. The authors even caution you against doing so. But if like us, that you're serious about finding some solid, reliable, delicious, gluten-free pizza recipes, this book will be worth the time and effort. Conversely, if you're just looking for quick and easy, this is likely not your book. My only critique is they should have included lasagna recipes since it's pretty much a pizza cake, right? Pizza cake. No. (laughs) It's pizza cake. It is not. You gave it a three, right? I gave it between a two and a three. Okay, fair. Lastly, Uh, taste. Taste. I gave it a five. Um, I was really pleased with all the crusts, except for that dessert pizza, but that was, I think, our fault because of the minor substitution we made. Yeah. I absolutely, absolutely loved the deep dish and the cauliflower. And I also want to try some of the other, obviously, I want to try some of the other crusts. Yes. So... What did you give it? I originally was going to give it a three only because the question I was asking in my mind is, are these the best pizzas I've ever enjoyed? Absolutely not. You have to make some sacrifices by making them gluten-free. I think I'm going to bump it up to a four, though. Yeah. Because like three almost seems a little too low yeah. when we actually did enjoy all these ones we made, maybe the dessert pizza side. <laughs> But as you mentioned, maybe that it's not fair to like evaluate that one since we did have to substitute the wheat flour. But yeah, certainly the deep dish, my favorite by far. Uh-huh. Cauliflower one was great. I would consider making that again. If you're feeling more more thin crust, you could uh, you could do worse than that uh, New York style dough. Yes, I I, th- I think four is fair. Okay. You know, I mean, you. I feel like you're making a bit of a sacrifice by making these gluten free, but. If, if you want to eat pizza, what's the alternative? Yeah. See, and I'm giving it a five because I don't really have, <laughs> I don't really have a lot of options. Right, right. So, you know, if if I want to eat pizza, ho- yeah. if I want to make homemade pizza, it's going to be this. And yes. I will be perfectly happy with it. So based on those rankings, is this a buy, borrow, or banish for you? I would buy it. All right. How about you? I would recommend, like us, that you borrow to see if it's a good fit. And if so, by all means, buy it. Yes. I would I would definitely recommend buying this, as long as you kind of have the proper expectations going into this. Now we've reached the gastro-obscura portion of the show, exploring the weird and wonderful culinary traditions, experiences, and ingredients in keeping with the pizza theme. I understand you got a pizza-themed... Yes, topic absolutely for it, us. it's pizza pacaya and this is in san vincente pacaya 
Guatemala. The Pacaya volcano is 25 miles south of Guatemala's capital. It rises 8,000 feet above sea level. The volcano became active again in 1965. It has a slow-flowing lava river so it's an active volcano it is okay i mean it's still dangerous but you don't want to go walk in the lava or anything but the lava is very slow people do that on uh, work retreats all yeah, the time they do. <laughs> I know. some of them just have little stubs for feet but. <laughs> so yeah there's a slow fo- f- slow flowing lava in 2019 mario david garcia mencia opened pizzeria pacaya and he gained inspiration for this by watching tourists roast marshmallows over the hard but still hot lava. That had to have been like Americans. Probably. Americans <laughs> love their fucking s'mores <laughs> and stuff like that. Um, but before opening his business, he spent years baking pizzas for him and his friends. Uh, he uses various meats and veggie toppings. And he uses a previously kneaded dough. Cooking on top of the lava only takes a couple of minutes. To go there, uh, David strongly recommends setting up a previously agreed to visit via his Facebook page or his WhatsApp number. Uh, since the volcano is in a national park, only official guides are authorized to hike the tourists up. So is this kind of a pop-up situation? This isn't a permanent restaurant, is it? No, it is. Oh, it is? Yeah. Okay. I was under the impression maybe it was like a pop-up thing where he just kind of meets you there does the pizza it's more like kind of an experience rather than like uh you know an actual like freestanding restaurant but well, you know, i could be it, mistaken i don't i don't know it could be they don't really say anything about like the the article doesn't really cuz it it seems a little bit risky to build a a permanent restaurant at the foot of a active volcano that's just me i mean the restaurant business is uh fraught with pitfalls enough I mean than to add vol- active volcano to the mix it's probably just like some equipment set up and then you hike to a certain location rather than like a <laughs> a brick and mortar you pull up in your car yeah go through the drive-thru so I was like totally lying there you don't think they have like a golden tea video game set up in the in the lobby no I for, do not for the for the customers no okay so once you contact him, he will meet you at one of the a designated spot. Look for the flowing lava. Right. Well, and it, it would make sense that it's not a brick and mortar because the you know the lava is constantly moving. You you have to be mobile. And now, how long do these pizzas take? Did you mention that? A uh, couple minutes because the That's lava it. is like eighteen hundred degrees. <laughs> um, There's no doing this at home. Yeah, and it's it's about two hours from Antigua. Two hours away by bus, and they say make sure to wear comfortable clothes, appropriate hiking shoes. It's, gonna be hot. it's a ninety-minute walk, uh, and bring sunscreen, water, and snacks. Well, you'll you'll have your pizza appetite by the time you sit down. Absolutely. That that could be the inspiration for a new pizza action movie, Pie Hard. <laughs> right. That's not even my joke for the episode. Okay. That was a freebie. All right. All right. Uh, If you enjoyed the show, please rank and review us. Uh, You can follow us on our social medias. Uh, Our Instagram is at we underscore cook underscore books. And our Facebook is at we cook books. All right. We're not done yet. One last little piece of torture. Yep. (laughs) Pizza torture. (laughs) 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 So I, I, that's not even the joke either. I mean, I, I, I uh, did some, 
some research and, and came up with some good pizza humor in keeping with the theme. Now, the, the difference between a good pizza joke and a bad pizza joke is all in the delivery. Uh, I got my work cut out for me. Um, it's all and, in the delivery. And, yeah, right? <laughs> Unlike pizzas themselves, <laughs> these pizza-themed jokes can't be topped. So I'm going to open a restaurant that only serves crabs and pizza, and I'm going to call it the Crust Station. <laughs> right? Sure. Um, I burnt my Hawaiian pizza the other day. I should have cooked it on a low temperature. <laughs> These are such dad jokes. They're so terrible. That's all I got. Mm. All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. Have a fantastic week. Stay safe. Stay hungry.